Hey, adoptees, friends and families of adoptees. Uh, Welcome to The Rambler. I'm your host, Mike McDonald. As uh, you're well aware, if you're a subscriber to this show on iTunes or Google or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, For a lot of you listeners out there in the uh, interwebs and in the reality that you share with me, this has been a pretty rough week. Uh, I, I know for many of you, including myself, uh, I, I was shocked by the results, uh, Tuesday to Wednesday. And, you know, regardless of, of the outcome or how it was going to turn out or whatever, uh, things were not going to be, things were not going to be easy. For, for anybody who is going to occupy the highest office in the land, the leader of the free world, a person who has global influence, uh, not to mention the person who will be deciding uh, the Supreme Court <laughs> in the next couple of uh, generations of people, uh, or the, the House and the Senate, for that matter. In the, in the United States, uh, there's a lot going on in the United States, and, and uh, there's a lot of people. I think that you know, when a lot of Americans underestimated, felt disenfranchised by the system, by this form of government called democracy, this American experiment that we are all a part of. Uh, at least at least 25% anyways, half of half, because the other half uh, didn't vote. And the uh, last quarter voted uh, in the other direction. So, yeah, I, the, and there's the problem, I think. That's the problem that I want to kind of discuss and identify and go over with today. Because the first step to solving a problem is to admit that you have a problem. And so we have a problem in this country. And uh, again, it doesn't come down to Republican or Democrat. Uh, I don't care which way you lean. As I've said on the show many times before, I'm a radical moderate. And it, and what it comes down to me uh, is a fundamental, there, there's a couple of things at play in my mind. Uh, and you can agree with me or disagree with me, but I'm just going to wax on platitudes here for a little bit uh, in terms of the status of, of this country and how we kind of go about moving on because we're going to have to move on. So first I think we have to recognize that there's an issue and there is a significant issue in this country and that is the great divide between Americans uh, with each other. Fundamentally, fundamentally, Americans don't recognize each other. I think uh, the people who were shocked at the outcome of the election, and I include myself in those numbers, uh, didn't realize that there was such a large number of people who felt this way, who felt disenfranchised by the system and the government that kind of runs the whole thing. And uh, they might be surprised too, that that those people were co-workers, friends and family, uh, other relatives, like just everyday people. 
And I, I've seen the data now that says that a lot of people who, uh, you know, it doesn't come down to racism and misogyny necessarily, right? There were plenty of people uh, who in the past had voted for President Obama, who are now put, casting their vote for President Trump. So there, there are a lot of issues at play. And I think if you know uh, these people or you're somebody in that camp and you have friends who are Democrats and you don't see the way that they kind of uh, cast their vote. I've come up with a couple of different steps here to try to bridge this gap between uh, this very fractured country. Uh, And I know I have a very limited listenership and amount of listeners. uh, And there's definitely a lot of work to do with regards to things like the adoptee Rights Act, the Adoptee Citizenship Act, um, and hopefully we'll get Emily Kessel back on the show soon to talk about where we go from here with regards to that. But the the, the things that I came up with is uh, they're all ease, so I tried to make it as easy as possible. The easy ease, maybe that's not a good name, considering, but maybe it is. I don't know. Could be catchy. Easy e. Uh, <laughs> um. So the first one is going to be. Empathize. Uh, Empathy is an oft forgotten thing that we need to kind of tackle. And it's it's hard. I'm not saying that this is going to be easy. It's going to be hard. It's really hard to empathize with a group of people that you may not uh, agree with. You maybe you can't even see uh, where their point of views are coming from or where they get their anger or their fear or why they act a certain way. And this is where you should start. You need to begin, and it's again, this is not easy, but you need to communicate with them and get to know each other, all right? Ask them why they feel that way, why they do what they do, and try to empathize with their position, see it from their position, walk a mile in their shoes, and kind of figure out how and acknowledge how they feel uh, before you just kind of shirk them uh, before you just try to ignore them. I don't think that this country is going to start healing by ignoring each other. That's just not how it's going to work. Um, and it's just going to keep further dividing us. So we're going to, I want you guys to try to empathize with somebody who doesn't share your views. Uh, and, and with that, when you're having your conversation, well, we're going to move on to the second E, which is educate. Uh, and educate each other on why you feel and act and think a certain way. And maybe you, they can come around to see it the way you see it. Maybe they will empathize with the way you are acting or you, you are living your life and how issues affect you. Uh, the third one is going to be embrace. All right. Regardless of whether or not you come around to agree with this person or they come around to agree with you. I really want you guys to embrace each other and bring them bring them closer and bring yourself closer to them. All right. Once you empathize and educate, embrace each other for sharing your views in a positive light without trying to be critical of each other. Okay. That's honestly, it's just, it's not going to solve anything. You can be critical. If it's constructive criticism, it's one thing. Okay. But don't just negatively throw crap out into the world with no purpose other than to be like, here's some crap that I feel. 
and you're the cause of this crap and you're not doing anything to help it. Because you know what? That doesn't do anything either. If you don't propose a solution or try to solve the problem in a constructive way with another human being that you are going to have to live and work with, then it's just going to serve to further divide us. And that's not going to solve any of the nation's issues at large. So um, (laughs) empathize, educate, and embrace. And the final E is going to be elect. Okay. Continue to pay attention, continue to educate yourself and empathize with others about the issues that you care about. And educate yourself on the legislators or potential legislators that are going to be voting on these issues. Because ultimately, if you didn't like the results of this election cycle, if you were somebody who didn't vote because you were lazy or you were uninformed about the issues or you didn't think your vote would count or whatever then I implore you to go out there and change the government to be closer to what you believe after educating yourself on these issues and, and actually educating yourself on these issues in a, in a positive manner, not by reading some crap news site that has no verified sources, but actual issues in an objective way. And then elect the officials that align with those views. It's that it's not that simple. I mean, it's very difficult and it's a lot of work, but an informed electorate is the best electorate in my opinion. And I hope that if you're again out there disappointed about the results, a keep your head up, keep your head in the game. All right. Uh, and B there's a lot of hard work to do out there. And so Once we've taken our breath, and I want you to take a breath, and we collect ourselves from our mourning, if you're mourning, then come up with your plan of action to move forward in a positive way that will also hopefully bridge the gaps and not leave anybody out. I think the solution is we're going to have to be inclusive and include each other, even the people that you don't like. Because if you leave them out and they become disenfranchised, you know, they might come back and bite you in the ass. My guest this week is Sharon Pine, who is an Indian adoptee. She's living down there in D.C. And you may have seen some of her pieces online, such as this one from the Washington Post called Please Don't Tell Me I Was Lucky to Be Adopted. You can also find her on Twitter at, at Sharon. That is S-H-A-A-R-E-N. Or you could buy her book with her husband that she wrote called Torn Together, One Family's Journey Through Addiction, Treatment, and the Restaurant Industry, uh, which she has also kind of done together with uh, her her uh, nonprofit called Restaurant Recovery, which you could check out at restaurantrecovery.org. With that, I will, uh, you know, I'll let Sharon talk about this all herself. She can do it herself. I don't need to help her with this intro. I'm just trying to help you guys out. I'm trying to help you guys out. So, you know, if you, for the people who don't skip this, you get a short bio, a little bio about the guest coming to the show. Anyways, look, here's Sharon. We'll talk more after the interview. Here's Sharon. Enjoy. Enjoy. <laughs> well, welcome to the show, officially. <laughs> 
Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> no problem. So uh, you're in your new temporary location before you move. Are you moving back to the same house or are you moving to a new house? Different house, different house. We're hoping to buy about a mile away from our old house. Okay. I mean, our, our current house that we're not actually living at. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to be uh, still in the downtown D.C.-ish area? Well, we live uh, about, currently about a mile from the capital, so we'll be a, a mile further out. Okay. So That um, doesn't sound very far, but I feel like it's very far, like in terms of how, um, how dense the city is and how much is going on in that mile. <laughs> yes. It, I mean, and D.C. is so small that a mile is actually kind of long. I mean, yeah. a mile is obviously the same no matter where you are, but, but if I'm on H Street now, like it's going to be a mile further away from H Street. Yeah. So, um, how long have you been in DC? Since 97. All right. So it's been a while. And in this house since uh, 2000. So lots of big changes. Yeah. That's exciting. But you weren't raised in DC? No, I was raised in Massachusetts. uh, And then I went to school in Indiana. And then I came here after graduation. Oh, which part of Massachusetts? Groton. I have no idea. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) It's about, um, uh, it's actually really close to the Nashua, New Hampshire, if you know where that is. Um, it's northwest, like into, you know, ruralness in uh, <laughs> northwest of Boston and uh, south of New- Nashua, New Hampshire. Okay, uh, but how, it's very how, small. Yeah, well, I, I, would, I would. As we it all sounds, grew up, in- <laughs> it sounds like a small town. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think there were when I was growing up there, maybe ten thousand people total oh wow and so my high school was 350 people and when it started out it was 7 through 12 so really? wow so they just like kind of squeezed everybody into the school that they could for two towns <laughs> for two towns that was two towns worth yeah Groton and Dunstable and then in 1987 I think they built a middle school so then we did become a high school um and our class was the biggest class in a while. It was 97 kids. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. But again, for two towns. So what was the class size like? Like 10 kids per class? No, I'm sure it was like 20s. You know, I, I don't remember there being very teeny small classes. But again, that was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'm realizing my memories of this time are kind of fuzzy. So small town. <laughs> Small yes, two towns, which in listening like. to the podcast, many of us grew up that way. <laughs> it is, yeah, that is true. Yes, there, and it's always interesting to me that it's not like in cities or areas with a large amount of people and also diversity, usually. Yes. So <laughs> I'm going to guess that that small town and small two town high school was not very diverse either. No, no, <laughs> no, it wasn't. Um, I mean, there were just a handful of kids of color. Most of us were transracial adoptees. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there were a couple other kids of color there, but that was it, like, for the town, you know? Yeah. Well, there were other transracial adoptees in your town? Mm-hmm. How many? And we, um, well, my brother, and then um, three, five... 10 maybe like total wow where did they all uh where were they adopted from all of them um korea uh south america 
Um, and Cambodia. Wow. Perhaps. And I, you, I may be getting these countries. <laughs> and where were you adopted from? Uh, India, as it, was my brother. Yeah. Okay. Um, a couple of years later. Oh, so younger brother. Younger brother, younger <laughs> um, sister, who is my parents' bio kid. Um, mm -hmm. She's five years younger. My brother is 14 months younger. Okay. And are you and your brother actually biologically related or were you adopted separately? No, separately from different regions and different orphanages. Okay. And so how was it with the small, mostly white, except for a couple of transracial adoptees town? I bet you there? can tell how this is going to go. It was <laughs> terrible. <laughs> it, was, it was so bad. I just, you know, it was so bad. I mean, it didn't mean that I didn't have a great, you know, life, but it was just so hard. Yeah. And I honestly just don't think anybody should have to go through that kind of experience. Did you guys like band together and form like a club that you could find solace in each other? Or was it more like, oh, no, you're just another kid? Uh, we did a little bit. I mean, I'm not sure that I feel like in hindsight, I have a vocabulary for what was happening to us. But, mm -hmm. you know, at the time and especially uh, in the decade that we were in, right, it was the 80s and 90s. Um, we were young and we just didn't have a vocabulary for what, what we were experiencing. And so, you know, I think there was just solidarity in knowing that each other was there, but also you don't necessarily want to all be grouped together because you're just trying to be like everybody else at the same time. So yeah. it's that hard dichotomy. <clears throat> mm -hmm. And so what were you experiencing in, in hindsight? Like what were the things that you guys were kind of going through? Oh, just like, microaggression after microaggression after microaggression yeah. peppered with like full on racist something. So like, <laughs> you know, my brother, like uh, I had a, my, the person who arranged my adoption, um, her daughter was visiting <laughs> and she came to school with us one day and everybody was like, Oh, is this your sister? I'm like, yeah, it's my mystery sister. <laughs> we don't, <laughs> you've never seen before in 17 years. <laughs> um, but we're both happen to be browner. Like if they think that my brother and I look alike or we don't look alike or, you know, there's just a million little examples that when in isolation don't actually sound horrible, but when you're experiencing them, then you're obviously experiencing them cumulatively. Yeah. Uh, you know, just being told I wouldn't, I was undateable unless I had a race change or, um, what? Yeah. If you uh, had my, a race change. Yes. Yes. Somebody would, told you you needed a race would, change. Yes. Yes, that I could, I they could date me if I had a race change. Or um, <laughs> my friend and I, you know, this was the '90s or the '80s. So uh, television on Thursday nights, remember, was uh, Family Ties and mm -hmm. Cosby Show. So oh, yeah. people called us Family Ties and Cosby Show. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because she kind of looked like Teeny Others. Now, who I look like <laughs> on the Cosby Show, I'm not quite sure. But <laughs> <laughs> <gasps> I mean, just. Lots of examples like that. And then the regular when you're little being called brownie or whatever. Um, well, I was never called brownie. So yes, yes, maybe not. <laughs> but the equivalent, you know. Yeah, yeah, no. I, racist you know, we've crap. All, yeah, experienced that. Yes. Kind of fun bullying. Was there like one specific bully or did he have like a cohort? I'm giving him a, a gender role already. But was there like. The person who called me brownie was a, a guy. Um, no, I mean, it was just all. Actually, most of them were guys. But the women were or girls weren't much better. Like in terms of little offhand comments, like, oh, I wish she'd go back where she came from or, you know, little mm -hmm. things. 
Yeah. Like that. I'm like, okay. Was there like a lot of specific like mean girl stuff that went on or was it? Um, I was probably under the radar for that because I was, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there was, but I wasn't the target of it. I, I can't get over this. Uh, you'd be dateable if you had a race chance. <laughs> I have that never was like heard in that. seventh or eighth grade or something like totally, you know, crushing. I mean, not that it wouldn't be crushing at, at any time, but it was just like, you know, but that was it. <laughs> that is the most insane thing I think I've ever heard. He, I, he's since apologized, but it's like, eh, you know, <laughs> I mean, since, like, so you've talked to him since then? He he wrote a letter. Oh, uh, really? Apologizing for that. I mean, I guess we're all just, you, you know. So he remembered of, it. I feel like a lot of these statements and microaggressions. Yeah, they don't. Just that was about very it. unusual. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, yeah. they go on with their lives. And if you ever confront them about them, like later, you're like, that really hurt me. Like in high school or yeah. middle school. And they're like, I don't, I don't think I ever said that. <laughs> I, don't I definitely think in, in, on on Facebook or whatever, when you're connecting with high school people and, and I'm just like, I'm your one, I'm your one black friend, aren't I? <laughs> like you're the person who you're referring to when you're trying to justify something, not being racist. <laughs> you're the token. <laughs> yes. I do think that. Um, it's probably, it could be true. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm like, don't use me as that. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah. Uh, uh, I I can't tell if I spend much time thinking about it or if I don't spend any time thinking about it. Um, Do you it spend a lot of time lot. thinking about that kind of that kind of stuff, reflecting on high school, middle school, or any any? I of think when I am on Facebook, I tend to like see people and be like, oh my god. <laughs> but in general, in my regular life, I'm not sitting here obsessing over. It, it, like, and it's I, hard too because I think middle school and high school is hard for everybody. Yeah. So it's you know. I'm sure it was just it was hard for them, um, and I'm sure I did crappy stuff too. Mm-hmm. But it's just like being part of being the victim of all these much larger s- systemic problems. It, um, you know, it, it's hard to compare them. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, how old is your daughter? You said she's nine. She's almost nine. She'll be nine in December. Do you ever like look at her and and think like she's coming to that age now where she's going to have to start going through some of these things too? Um, uh, no, I mean, yes and no. Yes. Because, you know, middle school just sucks. But in terms of race, like I live here for a reason, you know, she's never had a white doctor, like her doctors are brown, her nurses are brown, her bank tellers, her, her mayors, her every, her president, you know, everybody here is brown. So she doesn't know what she can't be. You know, she hasn't had, she doesn't Mm -hmm. have to unlearn um, a whole lifetime of stuff <clears throat> Yeah. so far. I mean, she'll have to unlearn patriarchy and all that, <laughs> but like in terms of color, <laughs> um, she has this confidence that I never had because she sees herself reflected everywhere. Like her school is, you know, 50, 50. Um, it's so diverse, not mm-hmm. only in, um, <clears throat> racial and economic terms, but also just in terms of color. Like, she's not the only biracial kid or she's not the only kid who has her skin tone. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, she also has a vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been teaching her words and for what things are, she knows what a microaggression is. She knows what racism is. She knows, um, like we read 
I didn't want her to read, but she read Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> I didn't want um, her to read, but she read it. I didn't want her to read her, her the specific book, um, but Little House on the Prairie that everybody reads and I read. And I can't believe I was allowed to read this by myself. It's so horribly racist. <laughs> yeah, but well, I, there was, in, the, in the time, I, it wasn't viewed as racist, right? It's a classic. Right, right? which is BS because at the time, all brown people knew that they were being killed and pushed off land, right? Yeah, so exactly. Like, you know? So that our argument doesn't hold water for me. So we read it to her, or my husband did, and you know, anytime there was a was part, there a lot of we'd explanation? like, yeah, we get out the map and be like, here is what it looked like, and here's what's happening to mm. First Nations at this point, and like she would be able to think critically about it. So even one time, this is in kindergarten, she had to do a book report, like, what is the main problem in the story? And she wrote, Ma is racist. <laughs> So that was in kindergarten? She had the, you guys read yes. that in kindergarten? Yeah. I mean, and I think that's like, you know, I think it's our imperative to raise our children, to raise all children, knowing about these systems of oh, oppression. Yeah. Like, but, um, you know, children of color and parents of color maybe don't have that luxury, but it should be happening with all families. I, I agree. And, and it's, <laughs> I think especially uh, in hindsight, like white families or especially white uh adoptive parents who have children of color, <laughs> yes, <laughs> to, yes. you know, give these tools to their children. I mean, you know, I applaud that you're doing that for your kid because you could easily, I think, have, uh, people of color as your doctors, as your teachers, as your principals, and kind of, it's almost like a bubble where if she ever goes to like rural North Carolina experiences racism right. for the first time, it's like yeah. a crushing blow. <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, wait, why? <laughs> aren't people just seeing me as a person? (laughs) Like why are people seeing me as a person of color specifically? Right. Right. And it's a different environment. So I'm happy to hear that even at this young age, you're preparing her with language such as microaggressions so that she knows what's happening to her and her experience. And we do spend like, we live in Maine um, sometimes and you know, that's very different from our experience here. And you know, I wonder, she is much more confident than I was at her age. Mm -hmm. Um, But I still want her to know. And I want her to be able to like, you know, she has a lot of privileges. She's light, you know, Um, I want her to be able to use those privileges to help others. You know, I don't want her to um, be complacent or not understand that she has it differently than other people. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is a very, you know, she's very young, but it sounds like you're preparing her in a very mature way to handle all these issues. Have you talked with her at all about like the Black Lives Matter movement and what's been happening oh, in this country yes. with regards to race relations? Yes. Exhaustively. <laughs> <laughs> Does she have like, a lot of questions about, about that or is she? She mostly goes like this. It makes a face of outrage. <laughs> like, how could that happen? And, you know, um, we talk about, like, the other day we were looking through photos of what's happening, the, the Dapple, and, you know, just talking about, it's funny how they never build these things through country clubs or, you know, prestigious churches. That somehow it's always going through where brown and black people live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but she just, I always, I think, too, like, a lot of people say, oh, well, there, well, there was no diversity in my town. And that may be true, but white people are the minority in the world. So how can <laughs> how can you still not, like, educate um, your kids about what the world looks like? Um, yeah, a lot of people in, you know, I grew up in the 80s, late 80s and 90s uh, for the most part. I guess, and the high school was like the early 2000s. But... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but those issues, like, you know, it is a, you know, a very white centric point of view throughout history class, throughout English and everything like that. I just, so even through the historical lens, you, you have to kind of see, I, I don't think it's changed at all. Like, um, they don't teach like the, the loser's point of view necessarily. Right. Right. <laughs> like we still have Columbus day. Uh, it's very hegemonic. <laughs> absolutely. I was just watching uh, the I, I, I put it on the show the other day that Hamilton documentary on PBS, mm-hmm. and it was so interesting because it wasn't necessarily a documentary on the musical, although it was. It was also partially a documentary on Alexander Hamilton and the war and the time that he lived in. And so you know they're going through all the main characters like George Washington. So they have the guy who's playing George Washington in the show go up to Mount Vernon and go visit George Washington's home and his grave and. try to view him not just as like this historical figure and the first president of the United States and the guy who won the war, but as a human. And he's like, as a black male playing George Washington for the show, I have to contend with the fact that George Washington was a slave owner. And I tried to make peace with that and I couldn't do it. And I'm like, absolutely. Like people will want to, for however great that these men were, they were absolutely human beings and they were fundamentally flawed as human beings are. (laughs) You know, Thomas Jefferson had how many slaves and yeah. how many illegitimate children from him? And he was a rapist. And right? he was a because rapist. Sally was young and her, his, you know, all the power dynamics. And anyway. <laughs> right. But it's like one of those things like we can't just view history and the founding fathers and all this stuff as these m- massive mammoth beings who are basically celebrated almost like gods. Right, right. Of the American Revolution and not view them also as flawed people with their own issues as well. Right. And, yeah, oppressors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Starting so, a system of oppression. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we can go through all history up through today and say like, oh, well, things are so much better, but things are also worse. But it's like people are just people, I think, inherently. And so when we talk about race relations and everything, you know, I think it's good and healthy that you're preparing your child, who is also a person of color, for being viewed through this very white hegemonic lens. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I just wish that I had been given, you know, that I had been given this information. It's a gift to know, um, to not feel like you're, insane all the time right like yeah that when your experience is being denied not only your experience as a person of color but your experience as an adoptee like it's just very empowering to have the language with which to talk about what is happening to you otherwise it's like we're voiceless and Mm -hmm. that contributes to our feelings of powerlessness and you know i just want her to feel a little bit more empowered even though you know it's only scratching the surface yeah because these are (laughs) tools that you know i had a little bit of preparation for having done a lot of adoption related events as a child and growing up. Um, I don't know what your experience was in, uh, in Massachusetts. Did you participate in anything like that? We went to like a lot of Indian get togethers, but they were really like, like the parents were getting together, you know, the adoptive parents were getting together with their Indian adoptee kids. And there was no real contact outside of that. You know, of course this was, the eighties and the, yeah, let's see. Yeah. The eighties. So there wasn't, you know, there's no internet, there's nothing, you know, mm-hmm. and the it focus is lot. more on assimilation at that point. I feel right, like. Right. Right. Um, so it's not like I had, 
I mean, I, I remember them vaguely, but it's not like I had meaningful connections. It wasn't like, you know, say a decade later with camps and things. Yeah. Um, or where you met your string of girlfriends. <laughs> I just listened to that episode. <laughs> uh, thanks. Well, now I know what episode you're on. <laughs> yeah. I'm still on it, actually. <laughs> I'm halfway through. I just finished Julie's and now I'm on that one. <laughs> is that Oreo's episode where we talk about that? Which episode is that? Your your guest is talking about um, how she went to hold camps, but they weren't great, but still became a counselor. Oh, yeah. And you had had it much, yep. much more different experience. I, I did. I did. I was, I was asked that question at a panel one time and I was like, uh, <laughs> it, it somehow continues to, uh, to haunt me. Not that it was a bad experience. You know, I'm happy that I, there's, I think there's something to, uh, having a relationship with an adoptee sometimes. And I, you know, my wife is adopted and where there's like an understood shared experience for a lot. Oh of people, yeah. You know what I mean? I- and you don't yes. have to spell it out all the time. Right, right. <laughs> yes, yes. Like, I'm moving. This is perhaps triggering some adoptee issues. <laughs> is it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially because, I mean, some of it is, you know, I grew up in one place. I went to college and then I moved here. So I haven't, mm-hmm. like, gone through a lot of moving transitions. But, you know all those attachment issues and I've been in this house for 16 years and you know, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) I feel a little bit like this is maybe, you know, yeah. Hitting some stuff. (laughs) So it's, it's hitting a lot of the uh, attachment things. I think so. But I mean, I also have realized like so much of adoption loss like increases with age. So things that maybe wouldn't have bothered me before definitely are more bothersome now like what um like when you like getting older I think I started realizing well one having a kid but also getting older I think when you're younger you think oh I have all this time to kind of figure out where I came from but then now that I'm over 40 it's like oh I'm running I run maybe have run out of time you know who knows Mm. what's happening there um maybe I will never have answers and like kind of being confronted with those, those walls or those barriers that, um, you know, are completely normal because when you're 20, you think you have all the time in the world. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Um, Yeah, that's true. And so listen, 20 year olds, you don't have all the time in the world. Get it done now. (laughs) I mean, it's a little bit different now because if you're 20 now, you probably came from an agency and, or, you know, not necessarily an orphanage and your birth was probably recorded and there may be information to find. Whereas, you know, 40 years ago there. Yeah. It depends on the country that you're adopted from, if there was a system in place or not. I mean, there's plenty of places, you know, in South America that may not have, the best record keeping. <laughs> right. Um, if they have record keeping at all. I mean, right. you know, even Korea where it's been this kind of thing kicked off. <clears throat> right. Um, there's plenty of murky records or redacted records. And yes. Yeah, so all your, your people, your guests are talking about the fires, you know, the Everybody fires and the these, floods. there's just like, there must be so many fires. <laughs> <laughs> destroying hospitals and orphanages Everywhere. and agencies. I mean, so I mean, it's an epidemic. <laughs> and it's like every year, just more and more fires. More fires. It's unbelievable. It really, um, a which, bit, you know, yeah. India, just the people I know who have gone back to orphanages, they're like, nope, nope, we just don't. We know, don't do that. 
Yeah, we don't do that. I don't think there's any fire talk. They're just like, no. <laughs> They're upfront about it. I did um, talk with the person who arranged my adoption or my my sending, um, and she worked with Mother Teresa, and she said that Mother Teresa was very good about, or bad, whatever you want the word, uh, about moving the nuns around so nobody got attached. Um, mm. And so, you know, even if you went back to say, you know, the, the people who who would have been there then would not have been there. And I guess in where I was, um, expectant mothers would go before they delivered and, um, help take care of the babies Hmm. and then give birth and, and leave. So there's just, um, there's not a lot of no continuity and no records. Yeah. That's an interesting like shell game kind of system. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to put it into like a negative context. People can view it however they want, but it just sounds so like designed to be right. <laughs> like nobody's getting attached to anybody. Right, right, right. And now I think it's different, um, a little bit different. You know, people come from children's homes, not an orphanage, and mm. um, I think there's more more record keeping. Whether or not you can access that, I don't know. But well, are there like agencies out there now that are? are doing record keeping and facilitating adoptions to America and other places? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know that there are, I just read a piece um, that the state department is going to make it more difficult to adopt uh, or not more difficult to have more loopholes uh, to jump through, which is frankly a good thing. Like if my child had been kidnapped or your child had been kidnapped, wouldn't you want it to be more difficult to get them like, yeah, and that happens so much in um, modern day mm-hmm. adoption practice um, with coercion and with just flat out kidnapping or or other. Um... Well, I think even I just saw a tweet the other day on my Rambler feed, which is just loaded with you know all kinds of different views. And right, right. I, I fight the urge sometimes to just like you know angry tweet back <laughs> or something <laughs> like that with with things that, like one of them was celebrating. Uh, Angelina Jolie and all the great work she's done for adoption and you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, I'm not, I'm not going to engage. Just don't engage. Don't don't engage. (laughs) Don't don't engage engage because I was like, (laughs) you know, I'm sure her heart's in the right place. You know, like all these parents, like I'm sure their hearts are in the right place. They want to do good. But it's like when you go to Haiti immediately after a natural disaster event and you were like, we need to get these babies out of here. And I'm like, whoa, wait, wait, wait. Maybe they still have like relatives or parents that are still alive that can take care of them. <laughs> yes, and right now most orphans are not orphans. They yeah, have maybe you know, we should sort everybody. it out a little bit before we just start shipping babies, <laughs> taking babies. Yes, for your own needs. And yes, like, again, and like the like uh, you know the better home or the better life. Well, they're getting divorced now, so you know. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I don't. Like, I understand, like, they want to do good. They they want to do a good thing, but it's like, mm-hmm. hold, hold your horses. <laughs> yeah. Take a minute here. Settle down. Settle down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, where you said you uh, finished high school, you went to college, and then you moved to D.C. Where did you end up going to college? I went to Earlham College. Where is that? Uh, it's a small Quaker school in Richmond, Indiana. Indiana. Uh, Why did you choose Indiana. Um, let's see. When I was in high school, my aunt uh, worked at Ohio Wesleyan. So I did a number of college trips uh, Mm -hmm. in New England, but then uh, I did a a Midwest college trip. um, And I looked at 
what did I look at? Well, Ohio Wesleyan because she worked there, but then Antioch and Earlham and Worcester and a couple others, I think. And I finally decided on like my top four, Hampshire, Bates, Earlham, and oh, the new school for social social research, um, which was part of like Parsons School of Design in New York City. Okay, that, yeah, yeah, sure. It, I think it has a different name now. Um, and I got into all of them, but uh, Earlham gave me the best financial aid package. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, it really came down between Eugene Lang and Earlham. And Eugene Lang didn't have housing for students after the first year. And I thought coming from a teeny tiny small town to go to New York City and then maybe the next year not have like a health center or right. have to find my own housing, that that might be too much for this kid from like <laughs> <laughs> the sticks. And then Earlham gave me more money in and um, so I ended up with, with Earlham and that was in 93. <laughs> awesome. And how, how, what did you study while you were there? Uh, I majored in, it's called human development and social relations, which uh, it's kind of, you can kind of tailor it to be whatever you want, but it was, for me, aimed at social service work. And then I had a minor in Spanish and a focus in education. Cool. And then I promptly did nothing with that. (laughs) (laughs) With the Spanish and education part or the social work part? Yeah, I graduated and moved to D.C. and temped for a little bit and then was looking for jobs and realized the only thing I loved doing was taking care of kids. So then I just worked in a, not just, but worked in the Child Development Center for the next seven years um, and took care of kids, babies. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) No, there's nothing wrong with it. And it's what I love. That's awesome. Uh, well, what drew you to the social work aspects? It was- I don't know. Just being, you know, just the nonprofit world. Like Earlham's really a liberal college and everybody's, you know, trying to change the world. <laughs> so Sounds that's like colleges of- to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that is kind of where I thought I was going to go with that. I, I don't, in hindsight, I don't even really know what I thought I was going to do. Um, Did you always have an interest in that kind of work? Mm, like helping people or changing the world. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. But specifically, I'm not sure. I mean, it was such a long time ago. I'm not sure what I was thinking. <laughs> and then I gra- I graduated. I moved here. I worked in child development for seven years. And then um, I quit that job and started grad school at GW. Very uh, nice. And exercise physiology and nutrition. And... That's a way different track. Than I know, I know. Education in Spanish. I feel like my life kind of lacks focus. <laughs> and then I started over <laughs> and in the restaurant world and um, met my husband and just kind of ended an 11-year career in that uh, business. So now I'm starting over again. So hit the reset button again. So are you going to continue in the, in the restaurant world? Is that the aim or is it going to be another focus in exercise science and nutrition <laughs> god no i'm such a bad i was listening to all your podcasts and i'm like everybody's so accomplished and i'm gonna have to say no, like no. yeah that that didn't work no that didn't work either <laughs> um i don't think i'm i mean i would do restaurant consulting i think uh if anybody wanted to hire me for that um like front of house management like creating staff manuals directly workplace policies you know how to you know the stuff i've been doing so like but the administrative side of restaurant ma- management, um, mm-hmm. front of house management. So I have nothing to do with back of house. I had nothing to do with um, any of the finances, but like mm. just 
staff management with a restaurant. It's a very different population, kind of, um, you know, it's a very different world. The restaurant world is a very different world. Uh, I don't know if you've ever worked in restaurants. (laughs) No, because I, I, as much as I love talking with people and conversing with them, I don't think I want to deal with people ordering food and getting mad about this isn't prepared the way, blah, blah, blah. And then my tip suffers because the cook undercooked yes. something or whatever. It's a, yes. It's a hard industry. Um, yeah. Uh, it's very transient. Like most people don't stay very long because mm-hmm. you know you can get another restaurant job pretty easily. And um, it's hard. You deal with a lot of you know, of that. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, there's just a lot of, you know, drug and alcohol issues. I'm sure Um, there's a lot of personalities. (laughs) I've read a couple of, uh, Bourdain books. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So I would do consulting, but I don't actually want to be a manager again. Plus that, you know, when we had our restaurant, um, you know, it was a family friendly place mm-hmm. and we, I could have my daughter there uh, yeah. with me. But if I were to, you know, have another management job, she probably couldn't be there. The hours are terrible. <laughs> that is so, true. Yes. Now I'm between jobs. If anybody wants to hire me, like especially for adoptee writing <laughs> um, or yeah. Well, you've definitely done a lot of that. So I, I'm first of all, I'm really happy that you agreed to come on this show because, you know, oh, this is thank like- you for having me. This is like small peanuts compared to the stuff that you've put out there in terms of your video and the piece, uh, Don't Call Me Lucky to Be Adopted. So, I mean, that's pretty amazing stuff that you've put out. And it seems like it's almost like a like a side gig. Like, I guess this is for me. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's it's powerful stuff. So is that something that you enjoy kind of doing, doing that kind of adoptee community work? Well, <clears throat> Now, yes, it was very hard for me. Like I didn't talk about being an adoptee or my adoption experience with like to anybody unless they were an adoptee mm-hmm. um, until I was like 37. And, you know, kind of all these things, as I said, it, it gets worse with age and, yeah, yeah. you know, everything just kind of started bubbling up. Um, I always say that, you know, adoption, adoptee issues or, or adoption, thinking about adoption, you can, I've always been able to put, kind of put on the back burner for a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, say when you're starting a career or going through divorce, like, oh, I'll just put that on the back burner. But eventually that's still on. It's still bubbling. It's still going to bubble over. <laughs> and it, it did definitely for me when I was 37. And so I was like, I felt like a teenager again. I was like losing my mind. Like I was just all over the place. I was desperately searching for other adoptees and I kept looking for Indian adoptees. But every time I put that in, it got like ICWA and First Nations. I was like, Ugh. and I finally figured out that I should put Desi in and I found Kripa, uh, I, she, uh, Yahoo group for uh, Lost Saris for, de- uh, for South Asian adoptees. And so I emailed her and she wrote me back so that the Yahoo group isn't really happening anymore. We're all on Facebook now. <laughs> And then that's how I kind of was introduced to the world of adult adoptees and, you know, it completely changed my life. And Well, what kind of spurred this on for you? What made it bubble to the top? Was it just the amount of timing or? Uh, timing, let's see. I had a child, so that was it. I was approaching 40. That was another thing. And then one day my mom kind of just showed me, gave me all my adoption papers. And Out I was of 37. Nowhere, like- yeah, I don't know if she was going through paperwork or she decided that I should finally have it, but it just like 
threw me for a loop. One, because I should have had it my whole life, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, I shouldn't be just discovering any of this stuff at 37. But two, because, you know, when you look at it, like, you know, they list my parents as my parents, you know, like it's a fake forged birth certificate that I'd never seen mm. before. And of course my parents did not birth me. Right, yeah. <laughs> and the date on it is like two or three years later, you know, it just, you know, I, I wish it had just been blank. Like I didn't, I don't need a forged document like mm. in any other setting. If I just did that to somebody else, it would be totally illegal, but because it's adoption, it's fine. And it just threw me for this, like, you know, yeah, yeah. I much rather it say mother unknown, father unknown, or adoptive parent this than have it listed like I was born to these two white people. <laughs> yeah, it's such a kind of a weird document, I guess, for adoptees to have who weren't born in this country to have like a birth certificate from America. Because I think about that sometimes too. Yeah, right. Um, and they're just... like, oh yeah, bring your birth certificate, and you have to go through all this explanation. Like, wait, so you weren't born in this country. It's like, no, I was born in Korea. It was like, but this is a birth certificate from New Jersey. And I'm like, no, yeah, I get Three that. years after you were born. <laughs> yeah. like, and maybe it was my naturalization papers. I'm not sure, but at least that, you know, the same yeah, the yeah. thing is the same, right? Where it's like these two white folks are like, who didn't birth me have now get to say that they did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, that triggers all sorts of other stuff. You know, domestic adoptees have birth certificates. They just can't access them. And right. then, you know, transracial adoptees of our or my age, and, you know, we don't have birth certificates at all. They just don't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just to be unrecorded, like, like, we, like our, we came from nowhere. Like, if we came from nowhere, then where are we going? And, you know, it just triggers all this stuff. So that was when I was 37. And then I was reaching out to find other people and... Um, well, it sounds like you found the Facebook group. I so found okay. them. <laughs> so now <laughs> I'm, and I don't know what I would do without the adult adoptee community. Like I, you know, everybody, when I was growing up, it was very difficult. And it was also very difficult to just, you know, have my experience denied, not only by my, you know, the, the world. just everybody, society, you know, but also yeah. my family, right? So when I find other adult adoptees and we've had the same growing up experiences, especially with yeah. our families, um, you know, I just feel so validated. <laughs> yeah, and that's a powerful feeling, right? It's like so powerful <laughs> to know that, oh my gosh, it's like they had a playbook. I call it, you know, I have this novel in my head. I'm not a novel writer, but I have it in my head about it. Um, the transracially adoptive parent playbook like they, they do the same things like how did they know to do the same or they or how did they all do the same things or how did all they all fuck up in the same way <laughs> like, like what was happening <laughs> I mean, I, i've never looked into this uh, mostly because i'm not a parent or anything but are there any like adoptive parent books like you know they're like baby books for like new parents or getting prepared like how to be a dad it's like are there any out there for adoptive oh, I'm, parents i'm sure there are millions but they're not I would like for the adoptive parent books to be written by somebody who doesn't have a young child <laughs> who knows how the story is going to end. So it's like mm. all the blogs and all the, all the store, you know, all the books and everything. It's like about how your life is great and your kid doesn't have any issues and they're seven. <laughs> well, just wait, <laughs> just wait. Like, <laughs> Sit them down want... and make them read little house on the prairie and then try to explain the book. To just wait because we grow up and we have our own opinions about, as I always say, we have our own opinions about what has happened to us. And yeah. your 
perspective about how your kids are so great or it was so great to bring diversity or whatever is not your child's experience. And it's, um, or mm-hmm. most likely is not your child's experience. So the book that I would like to read is the book or that I think that other adoptive parents should read. I'm not an adoptive parent, but, or prospective adoptive parents is the one written by the, you know. Adoptee who's an adult now who could tell you like. Or the adoptive parent who is now a grandparent and has like been through it all. Like, yeah. you know, and, and they still have the good relationship and they still, you know, mm. you know, or they've been open to all of the uh, experience and all the stuff that comes along with having yeah. it you know, a transracially adopted kid. Um, and, you know, the one that with the five-year-old or the two-year-old, oh, they don't ask anything. Well, what? <laughs> like, you can't write yeah, that, like that book. There's a million of those and those blogs. Sure. Um, well, I'm, I mean, not to get too personal, but like, my, you know, I had my dad over the other day. Um, it was his birthday this past month. And he was saying like he'd been trying to work on himself a little bit more and that he was sorry that like growing up, he didn't kind of acknowledge like how bad I was bullied or he didn't see it and things like that. And I was like, kind of, I don't know. Cause I have like emotional connection issues. You'll listen. Right. If you listen to the rest of the Omeo episode, you're getting into that. <laughs> you do say that you're, you opened up more in that interview. <laughs> yes, I did. Um, but it, you know, I, so he's opening up to me and I'm trying as like, I, I'm, I'm trying to like connect, but I, it's hard for me. And also, so I'm like, you know, I'm cool with my dad now. Like we've had our fights growing up when I was a teenager and I, like I'm over it. So I was like, I don't know why you're kind of saying all these things now. Even, like I get what you're trying to do, but I'm like, I'm fine. Um, <laughs> especially, yeah, I'm it, fine. <laughs> also, you know, it wasn't him. It was like, it wasn't just him. I should say like, you know, my parents, the guidance counselors, uh, right. like teachers, the, like none of them like saw bullying as like a real issue. Like all this stuff about cyberbullying now, like didn't really exist when I was a kid or when you were a kid, when, even when it was real bullying, they were like, Oh, you're just being sensitive. You're being oversensitive and stuff like that. It's like, "Mm, this is a real issue. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So I felt bad because he was trying to apologize for that. But I was also like, well, it's not like a, I'm over it. And B, you know, it wasn't just you. So don't feel like isolated. (laughs) Right. 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 Your pain or carrying around this burden now. But I kind of I feel like adoptive parents, are they, you know, are they putting on blinders for some of these issues? Like, they're just like, oh, no, my kid's fine. Everything's, you know, roses and <laughs> rainbows and unicorns. Uh, or, I, you know, I think is that so. purposeful? Is that, like, purposeful, like, willful ignorance, do you think? I don't know. I don't know. For for 20 years ago, 40 years ago, uh, maybe it there was nothing out there, but certainly it is there now it's willful ignorance. <laughs> um, because you know, we know better now there yeah. are studies, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that have spanned decades. There's like uh, millions of adoptee resources. Adoptees are doing amazing work. There's no excuse now, uh, but you know, then it was very different. Yeah. I always have a hard time with those kind those statements also because when and this is my issue probably as well, but if the apology seems to center themselves in the experience, mm. like then it's hard to know where to go with that, um, which I think sometimes happens. Like I feel so badly, I, you know, because I'm like, okay, you're still centering yourself though <laughs> when it was my experience that it was anyway. Um, so I can see having like a hard time with yeah. when that's happening, like. well it also it just seemed kind of like out of nowhere i was like what is happening right now 
where am I? Yeah. Where was this 20 years ago? <laughs> I was like, what is going on? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now that when I'm like a formed adult, I'm like, I'm over it, man. Like, <laughs> that ship sailed. That ship I still sailed. don't like bullies, right? Like, I'm going to fight bullying or bullies. Uh, you know, I, I don't mean to make this political, but in the election, it's so frustrating to be like, oh, yeah. What yeah. is this? Every every high schooler who ever got beat up should be railing against this, right? Right. Now. right. Yes. But yes. Th- those kinds of things, it's like uh, I don't really understand. I don't know because I, I feel like my audience for this show are almost all adoptees, right? Mm-hmm. Um, almost none of them are adoptive parents unless they're adoptees who have adopted. I feel like really, yeah. I think there's <laughs> a couple, but I'm like part of my audience that I hope to have out there are adoptive parents to be like, Mm -hmm. Oh no, these are adults who are speaking about their experiences as they grew up as well. So maybe there's like something you need to hear here. (laughs) Right, right, right. I, yeah. I, when I wrote the pieces or the piece for the Washington post, Mm -hmm. a lot of the emails that I get or got then were questions like, this is my child. My child is struggling this way. Or what can I do to make sure? Yeah. But it's 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 also so self-serving, right? You're asking one specific person. Google, Google is your friend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's there are just lots of websites. You know, if you just Google um, blogs, blogs, yes, podcasts. where you can go to find adopt adult YouTube adopt videos. experience. Yes, yes. Uh, so, like, one, you already have your kid, but now you're reaching out, like how many years after the fact <laughs> and and this is the first time so but i just feel like google is your friend google is your friend and it's not my job to um <laughs> is that how you responded to them no i just don't usually respond but oh, it yeah. really isn't my i mean it's exhausting you know most of mo- because ultimately most people who are asking want to feel better sure. they don't necessarily yeah. want to do the work um of course. uh which is why they didn't google in the first place and why they're emailing me mm-hmm. um because if you Google, you're going to find lots of great things like Harlow's Monkey or, you know, your podcast or, you know, anything. Yeah. Um, no, I feel the same way. I feel bad because sometimes I get questions uh, when I do panels or I get emails. That's like, and again, this is like they're trying, you know, their heart's in the right place. Or right, they're right. trying to be the good person and a good adoptive parent and stuff. I should just say parent. They're trying to be the good parent. Um, but they'll say like. You know, especially when they have like teenagers or older kids that are starting to go through that rebellious phase. Right. And um, so we're like, oh, well, I don't really understand it. They had everything they ever could have asked for. They're so privileged and we gave the world to them. And now they're like rebelling. (laughs) I'm just like, "Uh, okay. Uh, (laughs) So this is natural, I think. Like all kids just rebel at a certain age. Um, but also maybe you shouldn't view this as like, you gave them every opportunity and this, that, and the other thing, and you were the savior and we don't understand. Right. It's like, well, all right. (laughs) I could see how you would feel betrayed, but also this is kind of (laughs) natural. Yeah. 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 It's textbook. That's what we do. Right. As adolescents, (laughs) we just go a little crazy, um, through, I also think, um, you know, that parents should be the ones who are uncomfortable. Your child should not be your first friend of or person that you know of color. And you Mm. should not be living in a place where they are the person who 
has to deal with issues that they shouldn't be having to deal with, right? It's already traumatic enough to be an adoptee and have to lose your first family, let alone have to navigate like complex racial discussions or microaggressions when you're four, you know, that's too much. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. um, well, wait, this is your mom. Well, but wait, how does that, you know, or mm -hmm. all of that, like the, the parent should be the one who's you know uncomfortable and being, um, outside of their comfort zone, not the child, the child should be. Yeah. Cause they're mm. also better prepared as adults to deal right. with those issues or they should be. And you chose this. Your child did not choose this. <laughs> exactly. I think some people, uh, don't really remember that is, you know, the adoptee didn't really have a choice in this. Matter. Yeah, we, we didn't. And we would, um, you know, a lot of the comments for me with, you know, that I talked about in the upworthy thing was that, you know, that we should be so grateful because we could have been, and you don't know what that could have been is. There's no guarantee here that, you know, yeah. you know, that wealth doesn't equal happiness, obviously. <laughs> um, and that, uh, that you're going to have a, like that your marriage is going to stay together, that you're going to be, you know, there's no guarantee that mm -hmm. what happened to our families, our original families, isn't going to happen in this family. Right. Yeah. Um, no, and, and I think, you know, this is when you start getting, like, really philosophical, right? <laughs> when you start thinking about, like, what could have been. and it's like, Right, right. Who knows? <laughs> it's, I feel bad because, you know, a lot of people have these fantasies about what could have been adoptees. Like, they're like, mm. oh, what my life could have been if I were, you know, grew up in Korea or India or wherever. It's like, don't, I want to just be like, don't worry about that because that's not what happened. Right. You can't look well, and it wasn't necessarily like, better, but it wasn't necessarily worse either. I think right, you just don't know. You would have had a different experience, is what I'm Just a different experience. Um, and but I just feel like all of us have the right to know, you know, where we come from. So oh, yeah, to be 100%. so completely cut off, or or to just have it be expected that this is our new life. Like if again, if somebody's kidnapped, they don't expect them. You know, if they don't assimilate or you know get. Uh, bond like that's considered normal but for a, a child that's the same feeling it doesn't feel loving necessarily to yeah. just be moved but that part is you know we get to so what what did so you, you get involved with the facebook groups and you start to find your adult adoptee community uh, I, I start to, to find my depend. voice yeah uh, talking about this stuff cuz you know as adoptees nobody wants to hear it right nobody wants to hear that it isn't all sunshine and roses and and as I say in pretty much everything I say you know people identify with adoptive parents and adoptive agencies they don't identify with us um and the complexity like adoption isn't good or bad it's just very complex yeah um so I started finding my voice and at the same time my husband who we have the restaurant and um he went to treatment in 2011 and got out of treatment, continued with a like outpatient for pretty much the next year. But after we got out of treatment, we started this nonprofit. Or he after he got out of treatment, we started this nonprofit called Restaurant Recovery um, that will help career restaurant workers find drug and alcohol treatment should they want to go. That's awesome. Um, and when we were writing the bios for Restaurant Recovery for um, the nonprofit we both wrote like a page and we kept going kind of. And then we're like, Oh, well we should make this a book. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then we did. So we wrote a book 
um, all about like addiction in the restaurant industry and our journey with him getting sober. Um, and you know, I realized that I had this voice for this experience. Why didn't I have the same like bravery and voice for mm. my own experience? Um, so then I just started, I think Masala Mamas, the online South Asian moms magazine, um, had done a story about like an adoptive parent. And I had tweeted at them like, well, you know, you should probably consider writing <laughs> or having like the adoptee experience yeah. and thinking that they would go mm. find somebody else. And she's like, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, crap. <laughs> <laughs> so you go and, and do that. <laughs> and I was like, ah, so that I had to write something. So this piece was kind of like, she asked questions and then I wrote my answers. So, mm. um, but it was still kind of essay form and it went out in the summer of like 2014 maybe. Um, and it got a pretty good response. Of course it's a very small magazine. I mean, I think it's Canadian. So for here, um, and I started to get a little bit more comfortable about it, uh, writing about it. So I wrote another piece for them. And then, um, one of, we happened to be, um, neighbors slash friends with one of the, Washington Post writer, and he asked if I would like to write something about um, adoption. That was the same year about being inductee. And I said, sure, but just be aware that it's going to be very controversial. <laughs> and he's like, that's fine. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I can't handle it if it's controversial. But, you know, of course, they want it to be controversial. So um, then I wrote the Washington Post piece. So it's just kind of like, you know, progression. And then the book came out. Um, so that's kind of how that all happened in this last year. Uh, I was got to do the upworthy thing. Yes. So it's just kind of all been a journey of, you know, claiming my voice and claiming my experience and whether I could go another 40 years with somebody else telling my story, you know, and I don't, mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't think I could do that anymore. So, um, well, that's awesome. Do you have anything else uh, in the works right now that's coming out? Uh, no, I have, I want to be hired by somebody. <laughs> um, I have this, you know, I have never written a novel or anything, but I do have that novel in my head that I'd like to work on. And I'd like to work on the South Asian, um, adoptee anthology. Um, and then I'd like to write another, like one of mine, but maybe a series of essays, um, all these as books, but, um, I would love to have, you know, have somebody like pay me to do this, <laughs> <laughs> um, as I am between careers. So trying to figure out what I want to do. Well, have you talked to your Again. publisher of the restaurant recovery book? Uh, that was self-published. Like, uh, so no, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean that we could, I could, we could do that again. I could do that again. Oh, and our, my daughter and I wrote a book. Um, Aww. it's uh, about living with, and you know, with a parent who's an addict or suffering from mm. a substance use disorder. So that was just in the draft stages, but I would love to have number one, an illustrator, uh, and number two, a publisher. <laughs> if any of you know that. <laughs> yes, know if somebody. anybody's listening who's an illustrator. If anybody's listening, yes, an illustrator for a children's book uh, and a publisher for that, for that book. Um, I don't think I've uh, had any uh, illustrators on the show yet. 
But if you're an illustrator, <laughs> top D, <laughs> you're come on the show, but also get in contact. And uh, well, how would people get in contact with you actually to, this is a great oh, segue. They could, um, <laughs> you could email me, um, Sharon.pine at Gmail, or you can uh, find me on the Twitters at Sharon or on the Instagrams at Sharon Pine. <laughs> what else? I'm on Facebook. Um, that's it. Is that that sounds it? like all of them. I don't. Well, yeah. I don't know. This is your, <laughs> this is your <laughs> social know. media. Accounts. I know. I know. Gosh. Um, and then uh, I've also been doing work. Um, not not this summer because of everything that's been going on, but in, uh, working for the um, the bill, trying to pass the bill. Yes. Uh, Adoptee Citizenship Act. So mm-hmm. we um, had. I did three days with um, a. Adoptee Rights Coalition or campaign and um, yeah, and uh, and you were there Dave. at the uh, the yes yes at the, the adoptee gathering yeah the day of action I did a couple of those two of the official ones and then one um, uh, just a different one with Emily mm-hmm. and then um, I'll be there for the next the next two days. When are those uh, going to be? Uh, at the end of November, I think November. 29th and 30th or 28th and 29th. Okay. Um, so this will be after the election now. So after the election, yeah. See how things maybe change or don't change. <laughs> yeah. But they have done a great job. Um, they have. Arc has done an amazing job. Like I just saw a list because I'm on that um, that group of mm-hmm. all the press yeah. about Adam's case that just, you know, they're doing a great yeah. job. They're kicking some serious butt. It's been uh, some unfortunate news this week with regards oh, to that. So. Um, but I, having said that, you know, that first of all is terrible. It has gained a significant amount of traction in, in the media. And that I think gives me a little bit of hope that yes. the uh, adoptee rights campaign is getting some viewership, some attraction. And yes. that, you know, it's, I mean, it made the front page of Reddit one day, the NPR story. So awesome. that to me is like really cool. Um, and it wasn't in like one of my international adoption subreddits. It was like in like right. news or something. And I was like, Oh, oh. like, this is like, this is a story people are paying attention to. And that's like, yeah, gives me there so much like hope 50 that links are... of how it's been covered here yeah, and just in Korea. Fantastic. Um, Washington posted one, they quoted Emily. I mean, yeah. it's, it is, I mean, it, it is, you know, when we were, um, you know, visiting with all the, the members of, mm-hmm. uh, well, their staff, um, we kept trying to just like um, emphasize like this, you know, this isn't like the, the basic immigration issue. This is which, you know, I also support whatever, but um, this is a social right. justice issue. You yeah. know, how can how can we, you know, how can this happen to us? You know, how can you bring us here? You know, it wasn't our choice. We didn't come here, you know, and then get, yeah. then not do, you know, you have more due diligence for a car. Like, and then how can <laughs> you yeah. send us back? Like, that's just, uh, it's, this isn't just, it's not just. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. And I think you know, to bring that up again, just like the adoptee had no choice in this matter. So. Yeah, none. It's not um, like we, three-year-old whatever is sneaking in, you know whatever yeah. yeah the border wall is is not gonna fix this problem <laughs> yes. this and is... you know in terms of adoptee rights like this is the first adoptee led you know yes. transnational adoptee led or international adoption led bill by mm-hmm. adoptees for adoptees you know yeah. and, and i think it's so telling that the the first bill um that would give that gave citizenship automatically was by adoptive parents for their own children right um 
which is why that loophole right. exists. Which is why the loophole exists. And if, you know, I'm not, I don't know. I just, it just seems terrible that they would have, they would have done that. So this would be, you know, historic, historic legislation for, um, protecting, protecting us. Um, yes. And just, you know, now I know so many more people who don't have citizenship and just, you know, how, how precarious your life is, you know, you can't, yeah. can't, can't advocate on myself for yourself. You can't get a job. You can't vote. You can't. Um, mm-hmm. Well, and it's even just... like a misnomer to call them like an undocumented immigrant. This was a documented yeah. immigration. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, so none of even like the language that you want to use against somebody in terms right. of like the precarious immigration policies. Yeah. It doesn't apply. Here. Right. Right. So I, I don't know. I, like part of me wants to kind of like cold call on the show some key legislators and just be like, hi, I, I just wanted to get your take on this. By the way, this is being recorded for a show. <laughs> for a show. You should. Well, all the, I, I will say that, you know, most Democrats have been totally supportive when we were visiting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, but, I think it's mostly a Republican. Yes. They just link it so much with the language. immigration issue. Yeah. Um, and can't see past like. You know, for those who are de- deported or became came under the radar because of a crime, cannot see past, you know, right that issue, which is. But even know, then, secondary. like the people who, like some of the comments I've read from Reddit or the comment section of those stories are like, well, and to be fair, I before I knew all the facts of Adam Crasper's case, I was kind of on the side too. I was like, well, he was a criminal, right? Like he did commit crimes, and then you you realize those people just like I hadn't had not read the whole story or knew all the facts. Um, whether again, it's willful ignorance or whatever, but it's like, Oh no, he did go to jail. Like he served he went to jail. Time. He did like the time. 25 months or something. Yeah. <laughs> he, did, he did the time. Like he served yeah. his time. He did the punishment, but now he's being, it's almost like double jeopardy. He's being punished again for this issue, but also because he is not a documented citizen of the United States, which again is, is bullshit. <laughs> right, right, it is. And then, you know, where in terms of this anti-immigrant sentiment that's here, which is like again ridiculous because white folks, you didn't start here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Uh, so like where do you draw the line? Like you know, anybody who is naturalized are we not no longer citizens if you can do this? Like where it, I just feel like it could just keep going. Yeah. Um, uh, I agree. I agree. Well, anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on that happy note. <laughs> on that happy note. Well, it's happy. We're happy that the, the issue is actually getting yes. a lot of uh, exposure and that people are starting to open their eyes to this as a major kind of policy event. I yes. think the timing with the election is a little bit unfortunate, but hopefully uh, maybe – We'll see how the this election cycle goes. Yes. Uh, there may be a little bit more hope uh, in the next month or two. And if it doesn't go anywhere this year, that it's primed for next next year. It, yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel about there, it. I mean, I just shout out to Ark and all the people who are working really, really hard right now. And I, I am not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am part of them, but I am currently not doing anything um, except for offering moral support. And I'll be there on the day of action. But they are doing some amazing work right now. I agree. Well, you are also doing amazing work as well. And I look forward to your future (laughs) essays, books, anthologies. Thank you. More work. uh, Well, actually. (laughs) And and congratulations on Restaurant Recovery. Can people actually find that online? You said it was self-published. They can. Restaurant. Oh, no. Restaurant Recovery is the nonprofit. Our Uh book is 
called Toward Together. Um, so Restaurant Recovery, you can find online, uh, restaurantrecovery.org. And then our book, you can find anywhere um, called Toward Together. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story and uh, being open to people finding you online and helping grow <laughs> the adult adoptee community. Yes. We yes. need each other. It's true. <laughs> Thanks so much. Well, thank you for having me. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. Right, and that was my interview with Sharon Pine. Again, you can find Sharon online, and she is on Twitter. She is on Facebook. She's on all those places that you just heard about. You can find Restaurant Recovery at restaurantrecovery.org. You can find her book, Torn Together, on Amazon and a bunch of other places to get ebooks. Uh, so do all those things. You should definitely do all those things. Oh, and check out her piece on The Washington Post uh, if you haven't done that already. I definitely think it's awesome, and I appreciate Sharon coming on the show. Uh, oh, what else did happen this this past week other than the insanity that we already talked about? I uh, did the ATN Parents Group on Sunday with Julie Young moderating. I was really happy. Uh, I know I mentioned during the show that uh, the parents maybe don't listen to this show, but hopefully now there are a couple that are going to, and I appreciate any new listenership that I have. So thank you to uh, all the adoptive parents out there who are looking for insights into the adult adoptee mind that uh, I try to share on this show. So thank you. Thank you very much for coming out, all of you ATN parents. And thank you, ATN, for actually uh, hosting somebody of my ilk to uh, come and talk to the parents group. I hope that it was appreciated and that, you know, the parents got a lot of information out of it. Uh, If you are an adoptive parent, an adoptive parent, I should say, proper grammar, uh, that likes the show, or anybody that likes the show, you don't have to be an adoptive parent, I guess, necessarily, then please share it. You can share it. You can subscribe to it on iTunes. Leave a nice review. Rate it five stars. I appreciate that. Uh, share it on Google Play. We all also are also on Podbean and SoundCloud. So there's a plenty of plenty of plethora of places that you could get this show. And and please subscribe so you automatically get it downloaded to your inbox automatically. It would be much appreciated. I appreciate that. And again, leave a nice review if you would be so kind. Uh, And share it with your friends and family and adoptee groups and adoptive parent groups. Uh, So everybody can get a nice healthy view from the adult adoptee perspective. That would be awesome. Uh, What else? Oh, you can always... Uh, besides that, follow me on Twitter. If you do that Twitter thing, I'm on the Twitter sphere at the Rambler ADHD. You can like my page on Facebook, and that is facebook.com slash the Rambler ADHD. Or you can send me an email at the Rambler ADHD at gmail.com if you feel so inclined to uh, drop me a line. Uh, I may, if it's a really nice email, may read it on the air uh, to show people that I appreciate them contacting me and leaving me nice emails. Uh, You can also contact me through any of those means uh, should you want to be a guest on this show. If you want to be a guest on The Rambler and you have a story to share, which I know you do, then please get in touch with me at any of those three things. Again, that's at The Rambler ADHD on Twitter. You can DM me uh, or send me a message to my inbox on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Rambler ADHD, or you can send me an email at The Rambler ADHD at gmail.com. Well, folks, that's that's all I got this week. That's that's all the juice I got in my tank. I'm sorry again. This is a I might as well move the show to Monday instead of Sunday because it's going out late again. But you know, I, I think everybody needs everybody needed a break this week, 
even from me. Uh, I often say that if I weren't laughing, I'd be crying. Um, and this week I did a lot of crying. I'm not going to lie. And again, I'm not crying because of the political situation. I'm more crying because of the divide that we share in this country. But I'm going to do my best to like work towards, you know, do my part towards unifying some of this country. And I hope you guys do that too. Celebrate each other's differences. Okay. Celebrate diversity. This is what I said to the parents the other day. And and it's a message I try to carry as well. Celebrate the things that make us different in a positive way and try to empathize, educate, embrace, and elect should you so choose to do so next election cycle. Uh, And pay attention to the actual information out there, not misinformation, etc. You're going to hear this shtick all the time, I guess. Anyways, you guys have yourselves a much better week than last week. Uh, We're getting closer to the end of the year, so hopefully we can just uh, forget this dumpster fire that is 2016. And unfortunately, again, last week is another kick to the guts. Artistically, unfortunately, was the great loss of singer-songwriter and American icon Leonard Cohen. Um, (laughs) uh, Just just so you get an extra kick in the nuts this week. So with that, I'm going to leave you this week with the the new Pentatonic song because I'm an acapella nerd who just released uh, Hallelujah. And, and you know what? I'm going to give you a little little taste of the lyrics here because I think they're actually uh, germane to the situation and important uh, for the commentary going on right now. And I'll even try to spare you my, my amazing singing. Actually, no. You know what? I'm going to put myself out there. I've been saying on the show in a while, I'm going to sing it for you and then let Pentatonix do the better work afterwards because uh, they do a much better job. Uh, thank you, Pentatonix, by the way, for, for being amazing. Okay, here I go. You ready? Baby, I've been here before. I've seen this room. I've walked this floor. I used to live alone before I knew you. I've seen your flag in the marble arch. But love is not a victory march. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. That's all I got this week, guys. Uh, enjoy your week. Enjoy the pentatonics. And uh, love is not a victory march. And love trumps hate each and every day. And I hope you guys remember that. And love each other. All right. I'm out. I'll talk to you guys next week. Oh, I have a very special episode next week, by the way. It's uh, with an amazing deaf Korean adoptee. <laughs> Sorry, I should have said this earlier. It's an amazing deaf Korean adoptee named Nayo. And I'm actually going to be posting the video of that on YouTube the same time the audio is going to be released here. She talked to me through an interpreter. And so uh, that will be up on YouTube with captions for my uh, deaf audience as well. Uh, When I started this podcast as an audio podcast, I didn't take that into consideration because I'm an idiot and the YouTube is a much better format for the deaf adoptee population out there to gain access to these uh, these stories. So I'm going to do that next week for uh, NIO and the deaf adoptee population out there. Uh, So thanks, guys. And uh, you have that to look forward to. I'll talk to you guys next week. I'm out.
I've heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? Well, it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the baffled king composing, hallelujah. It's not. 